a listener production. Welcome along to the Howie Games Part B featuring the voice of the world game, Martin Tyler. Time for the second half. I think growing up, Martin, to me, the great Richie Benno was the sound of my summer. Welcome back here to the SCG or welcome back to the MCG. We've got a commentator here in Australia, Bruce McAvaney. I grew up listening to him and he talked about performance being special. And for me, watching the EPL, it was at the start of the game you knew you had to tune in because you would come on with, and it's live. Where did that line come from? Because to me, that's the start of the game. Premier League football returns to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and it's live. And it's live. And it's live. Um, It came from the fact that the way the broadcast pattern was, we went to a commercial. um, They call it a turbo break right on the last 35, 40 seconds before the game kicked off. And I had to link into it all the time and I found it was very repetitive saying something that different every time. I would, And I thought, well, I've always, I started doing a lot of recorded football at the beginning. So for me, being live is still special. For everybody else, it's just normal. But for me, it's still special. So that was something I felt. I didn't intend it to become uh, a catchphrase, but I've, occasionally spoke to people at my sky and said, do you want me to still do this? And they went, oh, yeah, we've got to do it. And so I'm I'm doing it, not exactly by public demand, but I'm happy to do it. It's a nice focal point, but the commercial break is gone now. (laughs) So I still have to do it. And then we have to, as the last game I did and I did it, I had to pick up on my own uh, off the back of it. (laughs) Um, So that finds, I find that a bit strange, but it's still there, yeah. Again, with the short, sharp ones, David Beckham, obviously a superstar of the game in your time in commentating, is halfway goal versus Wimbledon. You talked about the fact that you're going to see that on replays forever and a day. Beckham! That's absolutely brilliant. Take a bow, David Beckham. A goal you'll see over and over again. From inside his own half, was it? Certainly on the halfway line. Did you know anything about him at that point? It changed his life. Could you see it live in commentary or not? Oh, yeah, I knew about him because uh, we'd done a Youth Cup final in which he played. Uh, he was actually not in an England. England had won the under-18 European tournament and he was 17th man in a squad of 16. Um, so, yeah, we knew a fair bit about him. and that. Uh, but I, I don't suppose anybody knew that he could do that. Um, and it... I went back a few years later for Manchester United's own TV channel onto the, the Crystal Palace groundsman let us onto the pitch. So it was against Wimbledon, but at Crystal Palace's ground. And my big worry at the time was, was it in his own half or not? Because that's quite a thing to say. Yes. And we'd studied the tape and we found the spot where <laughs> it was. And I did this sort of piece to camera from the very spot. So, yeah, but as a commentator, you've just got to be lucky to be there. Um, when these big moments happen, and that was certainly a big moment. Another big moment for Beckham was versus Greece, that incredible dead ball position. Two minutes to go. Sheringham going for this one up early. And uh, by doing that, sometimes you get that sort of decision. And it's Konstantinidis who feels very hard done by. And you led up to it, Martin, talking about, you know, is this a moment of destiny? 
Well, with players like David Beckham, you do feel there are certain moments of destiny. I thought it was really... If he misses, that gets lost anyway, but it set up one of the great goals absolutely beautifully as a listener. I was listening to it again today. Well, there is a reason for that. Um, he'd had four or five other free kicks, and with each one, it got closer and closer. So I thought, you know, he's... They've given away another one. They're not going to keep getting away from this, Greece. So, um, and because it was David taking it, and he's an easy guy to sell, isn't he? Arguably the most recognisable footballer in the world. Yes! Yes for England! David Beckham has done it big time! I always think of the great Martin Peters, who, who scored in the World Cup final for England, they used to call him uh, uh, the ghost. He ghosted into positions and, and, and people didn't pick him up. And I spoke to him about it once. He said, yeah, he said, of course it happens, but people don't notice the other. Uh, that might happen 19 times in 20. I get the ball and I have a chance. They don't um, yeah. uh, recognize all the, all the runs that I make. Um, the one time in 20 I get a goal, the other 19 runs, they don't, nobody notices. So I've probably set up a few <laughs> things in the past that haven't happened, but that was a special one because obviously the consequences were enormous if it didn't go in. Preparation, a brief description to me on, not your preparation pre, what do you have in front of you when the game starts as far as notes or information? I have a, I've actually got it here. I've got, I have a folder, um, sort of envelope folder with various bits stuffed in that are relevant. I hopefully for each team, I have a page for each team of notes. Um, I do a, a forensic check on every game, you know, and, and what I try and come out with at the end is what I call the smell of the fixture. Mm. Um, and that might be a personal thing. I'm doing Wolves against Newcastle. That's a big game for somebody of my age because if you go back way back when, they were the top teams in the country. Now they're, you know, trying to be in that elite group, but they're and they're they're in a position to challenge. So I, I try. It's it's my take on the fixture, but a lot of that is obviously, you know, the editorial lines that really come out. Who scored so many goals? What happened in the last game? Um, what's this fixture happened in the past? And Wolves and Newcastle have been ten games in the uh, in the Premier League. Seven of them have been draws. So if it's another draw, I've got to recognise that fact. So you, it's it's just part of trying to assimilate everything you can around the game. The thing I miss that I would normally do is chatting to the players before the game because you know we can't yeah. go to the red zone as it's called. Do you enjoy the research and preparation or do you find it a grind? No, I love it. Um, do you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm fascinated by the game and uh, the, the, the detail and most of all the people, the people who play it, because I tried to be that person. Um, and I think probably mentally I, I could have been, obviously ability-wise I wasn't. So I um, no, I love being part of it. I mean, even it's a privilege of being in the community really. The great thing I think about sports commentary, Martin, is if you're trying to get into the caper, it's free to watch others in action and to listen in others in action. I had a boss quite a few years ago that was trying to explain to me the importance of what we call special comments or the expert you often call the, the pundit over there, and he said, go and watch a game of EPL that Martin Tyler is commentating because this is how you should look after your expert. You should give them a platform 
to absolutely shine. And I went and listened to your games and you created space and you brought them in and you made them absolutely shine. It was a great lesson for me. Is that something you were taught or you picked up or you don't notice or you make an effort to do? Um, a bit of all those things. The truth is that I regard them at my age a bit like my kids. I'm taking, <laughs> and you can't have a favourite one because anyone who's got more than one kid knows you've got. Yes. You've got, you can't have a favourite one. And I, 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 if they're happy at the end of the game, I'm happy. It's part of my job, I believe, to give them the showcase. It's changed in the time that I've, Andy Gray and I worked together for a long time, and and that was the kind of two mates going to a game, you know. Just saying a very well done to Woking. Andy, are we going to say well done to Manchester United or the Blackburn? Well, three months ago, Martin, I said that uh, we'd go to the last day. I said that Blackburn would win the Premiership on goal difference. That's not going to happen. Uh, and equal equal billing, equal footing. My job's basically to identify the players and sort of set up the situations, and their job is to tell you what you can't see on the screen, really. Um, and they're increasingly good at it, and, and um, they take it just as seriously in their way as I do in mine. But I, yeah, looking after them, I think, is just a friendship thing, really. But it's nice to see... Uh, you don't want hostility on the air. Occasionally, you know, things have... Uh, I'm sure we've agreed to disagree. I can't think of any examples, but you know, you're not there just to be a sop for them, but you're there to try and create the platform for them. You know, if you get an assist, they'll score the goal. You know, that's the way yeah. it should be, really. And as long as the team scores in the end, I guess that's all that counts. I want to ask you about two very different times in in the. Premier League, Martin, you were there from the start when it went into that whole other world with Sky and and Murdoch. Prior to that, it's before my time, so I don't know too much about it apart from what I've read or what I've seen, and I don't want to focus on English football. World football had a real problem with hooliganism. There was fights in the terraces before the games. Um, you know, World Cups, fans were banned from certain areas. And the game is so much cleaner and better for it now. What was it like as a commentator in those situations, being in those grounds where they were, I don't know, were they hostile environments? What are your memories of that time? And thankfully we're beyond that now. Yeah, it was heartbreaking because the game was disintegrating before our eyes, really, before our cameras. And there were even safety issues getting to and from the game as broadcasters. Was there? It was a period in in, in the history of... I do believe it was a societal thing and um, I've always believed that our national game reflects society. It's probably a bit closer now to shaping society, but really it does reflect it. And um, those were aggressive times for whatever reason. It, um, there were politics that some people didn't like, um, but it just seemed that football was an excuse for people to... Um, to find a way to to go and cause social mayhem, really. Were you, and were, and you instru- were you instructed to not talk about it, to, to point it out in the crowd? Like I, I can imagine you had production meetings where your director, producer, EP, in fact probably boss of the whole operation would say, right, this is how we're going to deal with it today if it unfortunately occurs. Yeah, particularly um, the fighting in the ground. The, the first step, I think, to get away from it was to get the fighting out of the ground. Yeah. And then it was happening at railway stations or bus stations or... Um, you know, pubs, and it was it was still there, but it wasn't in the stadium. So we we were less um, 
spreaders of the of the evil really yeah um, yeah fighting in the ground there, there was certainly edicts if people if, if the game was stopped because somebody ran on the pitch did we keep showing it or um, in the edited days of football it would have also been cut out i think and maybe lifted for a news item or something like that um but no i mean i I, I was at the the worst one I personally was at was England playing the Republic of Ireland, which was more a, a you know the England fans were not you know they 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 attracted the wrong kind of people really the national team. Well, there's trouble in the crowd. That's the West Stand in the uh, Lansdowne Road Stadium down by the Wanderers' position pavilion rather. The referee has stopped the game because uh, well he's actually telling them to hold on or is he telling them to play on? There are guards on the pitch. There is trouble in the crowd. I think the important thing there, George, is that the trouble is coming from the English section, which has been cordoned off. There aren't any Irish supporters in there, and I think it's very important for people to realise that. And that game was abandoned after 20-odd minutes, and um, that was a, a, a nightmare of a night in Dublin. Uh, and that was, what, the early 90s? And I, an evening of frustration. I think the best thing that can be suggested to those who are still here, the game is off. There's no point in getting involved in any more. Go home. Gra Graham Kelly, no doubt there'll be a statement from some quarter, but uh, he's not clearly saying anything at this stage. So sadly, John and Joe and Bill, you were going to talk about football, but you've got something else entirely. In the end, what happened was, after the, the Hillsborough tragedy, and there were other tragedies at the time, the Safety of Grounds Act came in and the grounds were made safer. Um, obviously, all seater stadia came in and that definitely made it harder to be a troublemaker in the ground. There were police vantage points in every stadium. You would get caught if you caused trouble. So the troublemaker stayed away and gradually, gradually things, I think, socially got better and it suddenly became cool to behave well at a sporting yeah. event. Um, but hopefully, you know, we survived the awful times and they were truly awful times. Um, I haven't thought about them for a while, but you're right to raise them because the, they happened during my career, for sure. Let's go from one extreme to the other, if you'll indulge me. And I'll just set it up a little bit for our listeners so they understand the final round of the 2011-12 season. The great rivals, City and United. United's dominated City has had some investors. They haven't had success for a long time. I'm telling you things you know, Martin, but for those listening, um, they're level on 89 points going into the final game of the season. Man City's in front on goal difference. So to win the title, City has to has to get a result. Um, both 1-0 up at half time. United are away to Sunderland. City playing QPR. And then things start to go terribly wrong for Manchester City. Now, this is the game you were commentating on. For all the brilliant games you've called, this probably stands above for football fans. Take me into the last 15 minutes. I've done a bad job of telling that story. Tell me the story of the last 15 minutes from your position, Martin, in the best <laughs> position, best seats in the house. Well, I concentrated on, on commentating what was actually happening, but it certainly crossed my mind that my colleagues at Sky were at Sunderland 
uh, Rob Hawthorne was a commentator, and I think Alan Smith was probably alongside him. And I was thinking, but well, you're going to get the presentation here. I hope you've done, I've done all my work on the, the presentations. Manchester City had to beat Queen's Park Rangers, who were fighting relegation, uh, and obviously were favourites to win the league. And I was thinking that they have two trophies, so that's fine. There'll be one at Sunderland, and I'm sure Rob will have done his work just <laughs> in case this happened. And there are people down in the stadium that I'm at who come here to take the plinth onto the uh, onto the big big uh, uh, area for the presentation onto the field at the end, and they'll be sitting there going, "Well, we had a wasted trip here." It's not <laughs> Uh, 34th goal of the season, 27 of those have come in the Premier League, so Manchester United lead pressure on Manchester City, uh, only against Queen's Park Rangers at home, but it's goalless at the moment, as it stands, just as it stands, Manchester United top of the table and champions, 89 points, Manchester City second on 87 points. But that was, nothing with Manchester City ever quite um, works out as smoothly as, as perhaps they would hope. City-itis! Oh, strikes again and how Jamie Mackey with the goal is seventh of the season City need to score twice now to take the title away from Manchester United oh, it's in United's hands as Alex Ferguson heard the news he just came bombing on in the side of the pitch and he's just here he's trying to stay calm the arms are up he doesn't know where he's saying Jeff he's standing up and there they were needing two goals in stoppage time United finished they've won so QPR they, was leading at this stage. QPR was leading 2-1. They yes, scored they early in the two, second half. Yeah, they were leading 2-1 and then we were clipping backwards and forwards to um, in, in our coverage to Sunderland. Final whistle went. The United players were staying on the pitch looking at our monitors what was happening at Manchester City. I remember saying they need two goals in added time to win the league, which sounded... A, a, it was like a, a damning verdict, really. Not, yes. not a Not a description. So Jekko had equalised and never gets a mention. He should be up on the honours board for this particular game. He equalises with a header. Another corner. Joe Hart has got as far as the centre circle this time. In goes Jekko! Oh, Humphrey Kendall here! Could it happen? They're racing back to the restart. Uh, and then, um, yeah, then we go to... Um, the shots of United with our split screen. If it, I'm sure it's on, um, can I say YouTube? I'm yes. sure it's on. I watched it this it. morning. It is. Here comes Clichy. One goal to win the title. It's as simple as that. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli. And that moment where he pulls out and Balotelli gets the ball and Aguero scores and, you know, Manchester City won the league. Um, all I can tell you about my memory of the time is knowing a little bit about football and knowing Aguero, when he took a touch, I knew he would score before the ball went in the net. He's that good a player. I just knew he would score. And if anything, I, I, I can't tell you what... I'm, some people say to me, well, you must have been prepared for that and all those lines. Oh. I, think. I say, oh, yeah, I, I lay awake at night imagining all the scenarios. <laughs> 4,373rd <laughs> different scenario that I came up with and I was ready for it. Martin, let me indulge me. I'll read it back to you and I'll only read it because I can't do it anywhere near like you did at the moment. Man City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero, and on and on and on Aguero. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it, drink it in. I love the Aguero moment because that was the moment and you were, I can picture the excitement, but then to have 
the poise to go back. I swear you'll never see anything like this again. So watch it and drink it in. Balotelli, Aguero! talk about the fact it's never scripted if you had the opportunity to script that two days later I don't think you could do any better than that and there can be no greater compliment that in the moment in the biggest moment you were at your absolute best from where I sat as a fan that's very kind of you to say that and I'm, I'm not going to give you false modesty or anything like this of course I saw a good friend of mine Brian McDermott, who was the manager of Reading then, I think, who's managed in the Premier League, uh, about three months later. And he said, oh, I finally got around. I wasn't um, watching it when it happened. I was watching another game. I was uh, scouting somewhere. And uh, I finally got around to hearing it And a couple of weeks ago. And well done. I said, no, look, it's Aguero's moment. It's Manchester City's moment, which is true. That's, that's what it is. And he went, no, at least you didn't mess it up was not the word yes. that he used <laughs> but you can imagine what he did say and I sp- and that's the, the best thing I feel about it that it is there it will be there after I'm long gone and I wouldn't change it two goals in added time for Manchester City to snatch the title away from Manchester United stupendous the greatest moment I've seen in Premier League football The reason there's such a pause is twofold, really. I've always believed that, that, that silence is one of the commentator's best tools, to be honest with you. Balotelli, Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again! And But the Mark Hughes, I saw... 24 hours later at dinner in London, it was the manager's dinner of the year, just happened to be there. I bumped into him and he said it was the noisiest moment in a football ground he'd ever heard. (laughs) Because, and he played for Man United in big games, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Wales in international football. He managed uh, lots of different places. And for him to say that, actually, in retrospect, I can see why there's the pause before I, I go again, because... And the pictures are brilliant. And that's where Tony Mills deserves the mention because the one of Joe Hart running around, like he doesn't believe it's actually happened. He doesn't know where to run. There's no one to run to hug mm. to. And he's got to go up the other end of the field to do that. And and that shot is so, if my words are remembered, that shot should be immortalized as well, you know, because and it, it, he's got to stay calm. He's cutting, he's got all these options with all these different cameras and the sequence visually, and it, we're talking television here, is, his work is unbelievable. A quick break from Martin, the voice of football, to go to Phil Liggett, the voice of cycling. Phil appeared on the show back on episode 31. He is a ripping, ripping fella, is Phil. And he has lived quite a life with some amazing stories to tell. Like back in the day when Phil was a zookeeper. Yeah, a zookeeper. And so I moved on from the zookeeping after hitting an elephant on my bike. I rode to work every day, but I didn't know that before the public allowed in, uh, it probably still applies in most zoos, many of the animals they let out. 
Uh, they don't let the lions out or the predators, but, I mean, the elephant's a fantastic weeding machine. You take him round the back and he'll shovel all those nettles in one hit. And so round the back of the tea hut yep. was the Indian elephant with his keeper, uh, and the keepers are in love with their animals, by the way. Of course. They, they, they're, they're, they're kids. And the elephant was working away around the back of the tea hut. I zoomed round on my bike, hit the back of the elephant, fell off. And the, the keeper, I remember, he pulled the ear of the elephant down and said, look at this silly sod. And the elephant just trumpeted. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Anyway, my bike was bent. That's Phil Liggett on episode 31 of the show. All right, let's get back to Martin. A lot of people look up to you as a commentator. Is there a commentator that you've watched in a different sport or in a sport or just as a fan of another sport that you look at and think, wow, he or she does it for me? Um, you mentioned Richie Benno earlier. Obviously, I've told you about my cricket um, yeah. interests. Uh, I didn't really forgive him for 19, 1961, was it, when he spun at Old Trafford and England <laughs> were going for a win. And... Jeez, you got a memory <laughs> on you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he was a wonderful combination of a top-level sportsman and a journalist because that was his uh, chosen profession when obviously in cricket in Australia, then you had to have a job as well. Um, and so he brought uh, and a great economy of words, which I think is very important as well. So he was somebody I was thrilled to meet through both my journalism and then through my cricketing friends. Of course, I actually met him quite a few times and was always entranced by being in his company, to be honest with you. But I, I do have to say, I have huge respect for anybody who does the job. And you're, you're belittling yourself in this podcast, and you shouldn't be doing that, because I know what it takes. It takes dedication. It takes preparation. It takes a certain amount of verbal skills and a passion for whatever you're commentating on. You have to have a really deep feeling for it. And those that that's like trying to work out what a top-class footballer is, you know, all the different elements you have to have to make the grade. So for me, anybody who gets a gig doing it has my total respect and admiration. You mentioned economy of words. It's kind of you to say. You mentioned economy of words. Richie Benno's form of commentating was beyond anything I've ever heard. Does the economy of words still cut through in the fast-paced entertainment space in which you now work where I can watch the EPL or I can watch Netflix or I can watch a different stream. There's so many choices. Is that pause and silence, is there still room for it? It's a really good question. You've summed up the maybe the changing times in my career. Uh, I got a telegram. That tells you how old it was. Jeez. In 1974 <laughs> before... My game, John Watson, the very leading broadcaster in this country, he and I have similar vintage, and he's just recently retired. But he sent me a good luck telegram before my first game, which I still have, and it said, talk little but say a lot. Hmm. And I thought that was the way it was. That's what you did. Now you could say talk a lot, maybe say less, you know. But yeah. uh, we do live in the world of the sound bite. I'm, I'm very aware of that. But um, I think being fair, being accurate, and showing how much you care about the game is, is really all this still vital points of what you set out to do. Energy. That's the question I ask myself 
all the time afterwards. Did I give enough energy to it? I'm lucky enough, even at my age, because of, I don't know, because I coach and I'm out and about and in, in a difficult time, I feel energized. I'm around young people. I'm around our professional footballers at Woking and obviously young people in my business. But for me, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher are young people. There'll be people listening to this and say they're old players, you know. <laughs> but I get en- energy. Energy is the one word that I must re- I must retain, the one if it's a quality I must retain because that that covers up all the things you're questioning really as long as there's energy in the broadcast and and you you tell people how lucky you are to be there really and as in these times it is genuinely that and I do say that you know I do say we're the privileged ones and we're trying to help you we wish you were here um and I try and do that in a way that's not you know patronizing two more questions for you Martin and I've been fascinated by what you've had to say. One of the questions is not from me. You had the pickle earlier on. Now you get my eight-year-old son. <laughs> now his questions need to be vetted, Martin. His name is Mac, but he rolls as the big penguin right. for whatever reason. I, I won't explain it to you. I won't bore you with the details. His question is a difficult one, but he, in some ways he's asking you to surmise what we've been talking about for the last hour and 15 minutes. But in his little brain, this is what he wanted to know. Hey, Martin, Big Penguin here. If I had to do something for a job, it would be play cricket for Australia, play footy for the Hawks, or surf on the World Surf Tour. But if I couldn't do any of those, it would be commentating. I've asked Dad for his tips, but they're not enough. I would like to know what your three best tips about commentating is. Well... Can I call you just Penguin for short? Yes, you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> One, pick something to commentate on that you absolutely love because all the difficulties, and there are some, the travel, the um, the hours that you put in, um, they all pale into insignificance if you love doing what you do. So if you don't love the subject, don't do it. That would be, I say that to young broadcasters who, come to me older than the big penguin um they i say are you going to really care about this in three or four years time or is it a passing phase be sure that you um you love what you're going to talk about uh two don't expect to have much else in your life really (laughs) you have to devote yourself to your subject so even in passing um, when I used to go on family holidays, and this might resonate with a child, um, I was the dad who always stopped at the news agents, even though it was out of season. Or oh, there's an English paper there, I might get that. Or the Gazzetta della Sport, the Italian paper. There'll be something in there. You don't read Italian. Why are you buying that? Well, there might just be something, you know. So I think um, love, dedication is really important. And I suppose, to be honest, skills in language that's not to say you you've got to have a, a fantastically or what we call over here queen's english vocabulary you have to be able to communicate and communication now is many ways there are many words that have come into the english language that i would not have understood that i have had to learn from from my kids i don't like to sound like some the oldest swinger in town by picking up the hip sayings you know Mm. but there is a as you move on 
work on how you communicate with your friends you know how do you do they get what you're saying i have to say that questions from your kids have been excellent thank you beautifully delivered um with a sense of possible commentary futures because <laughs> they they talk very clearly and and i have to say the um uh, that that is an important part of it but it doesn't have to be you know there was a time where you had to speak a certain way to be a commentator i think now i think regional accents just the ability to get from where you're sitting to where the rest of the people involved in the broadcast are sitting in their own houses um, and, and wanting to understand what you're saying so there's a communication element in it but it doesn't have to be done in a broadcast think about how you communicate with your mates that would be my answer and work on that. And if you problem getting your point across, try and find different ways to do it so that you're not misunderstood. It's a brilliant explanation. I'll pass that on to him. The point you made that resonated with me there, Martin, is about being on family holidays. Now in the modern world, I can be on a beach in Costa Rica and I can download the Melbourne paper and my wife can say to me, why? Are you sitting here on a beach in Costa Rica reading the Sheffield Shield report, which is our equivalent of county cricket? Mm why are you reading the Sheffield Shield scores? And I'm like, well, I need to know how the boys are going and what their what scores they're making so it resonates with me. Last question I have for you, Martin, and you answered the question to the kids beautifully. So I, I always finish with this question. For kids listening to this, and we're blessed to have a lot of kids listen with their parents, which is really, really cool, and they want to succeed in their area of life, whether it be sports commentary or being an athlete or a scientist or a pianist or the best carpenter out there or whatever it may be. What advice would you give the youngsters listening, Martin, that want to pursue something that they're passionate about? Well, it helps if you know what you love because if you love music or art or reading or fashion or sport, if you know you love that, you can find a career in it and don't think you can't. The advice is you don't have to be the best and you won't be the best at anything you try to do unless you're very lucky and very gifted, but you can be the most determined. So stock up on determination, recognize what you really feel is important in your life. And you're probably thinking, well, that's just, I'm doing that for fun. But if you really want to take that forward into a, a life where you wake up every morning and think, uh, aren't I lucky to be doing what I'm doing? It pays the bills. It fuels my family. It does all the things that adults have to do when you become adults. You can do it. I promise you, if you work hard enough, you'll find a career in something that you really care about. I'm living proof of it. You know, I was just a, a wannabe sportsman who somehow fell into the fact that I could communicate on a medium that was still relatively untested in terms of the, the, uh, the breadth that it's got today, you know? Um, and I hitched a ride with that, and I'm, I'm still in the saddle. Uh, and the thing that keeps me going is that I love doing it. And if you are privileged, that, that's the gift of life that I've had, to be able to do something that I would do for nothing. I have told a few of my bosses this, and happily they haven't <laughs> taken me up on it. But if you said, well, you know, you, when I was asked at the beginning these kind of questions, when I sort of broke through, um, I remember being 
uh, reminded of this answer. What would you like to be doing in 20 years' time? And I said, exactly, I'd like to be doing exactly the same as I'm doing now. And that was probably 20 years back. So I managed it for 40 odd years. So, but do that, go for it. That's the message. And I, I really encourage the youngsters in my little world here don't doubt yourself. If you really want to do it, you'll get there. And you've got all the, despite the difficulties of this particular moment in history, it will all disappear. Life will come back to normal and you will have a wonderful platform in a wonderful world to grasp what will make you happy for the rest of your life. Martin, that is a beautiful finish to a wonderful podcast. Personally, for me, I've learned a lot watching you from the other side of the world and listening to you from the other side of the world and picking up the way you've done things, which have helped me enormously. But to now sit with you and chat about your career and for me, the art of commentary has been a true thrill. So I appreciate your time on a coolish uh, morning there in the UK, evening here in Melbourne. It's been a real thrill for me, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Martin, for joining me on the Howie Games. It's been a cracker. Thank you for putting me on your bucket list. Thank you. <laughs> Good on you, Martin. Stay safe. Quite the thrill, quite the thrill for me to chat with Martin and to pick his brains on sports commentary, obviously an art that is really close to my heart. Thanks to Martin for indulging all my ridiculous questions. What a lovely, lovely chap he is. I hope you all took something from the episode. Thanks to Mr. Podcasting himself, Darcy Thompson, for bringing his magic to the table and getting the episode to air. And some love to you all for listening. Until next time, with UFC champion Robert Whittaker, who has a phenomenal, phenomenal story to tell. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.